Hey guys, this is the Real Life Monopoly Podcast. This is your co-host, Jeffrey Donis, alongside my partners and brothers, Kenneth and Kerwin Donis. We are real estate investors, and the point of our podcast is to help you reach your financial goals, which will allow you to have time to focus on your true passion so that you can live not only a happier, but more fulfilled life. Enjoy the show. Hey guys, welcome to today's show. Today we'll be having Josh Plave. Uh, Josh is a multifamily syndicator who specializes in helping investors use their retirement funds to passively invest through his company, Wall to Main, Josh provides all the tips and tricks needed to invest quickly, safely, and inexpensively with an existing retirement account. Josh was an amazing guest and dropped a lot of gems. Um, if you're at all interested in investing with a retirement account or interested in learning about how to go about doing that, this is definitely an episode that you should listen to. So uh, without further ado, let's get right to it. So thank you for tuning in with the Real Estate Monopoly podcast. This is your co-host, Jeffrey Donis, alongside my two brothers, Kerwin and Kenneth. Today on the show, we'll be having Josh Plav. Josh, do you mind introducing yourself to the audience? Yeah, hey, everybody. I'm Josh Plav. I uh, run Wall to Maine. We are a multifamily syndication operation and uh, mainly focus on helping people use their retirement accounts to invest in multifamily passively. It's about uh, not pronouncing your name right. My bad. All good. But, um, Awesome. So you mentioned that you uh, are now doing syndication. Do you mind kind of giving the audience a background as to how you guys started in real estate? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I, I tend to kind of give it an all-encompassing uh, perspective here on why not only do I do retirement accounts, but also multifamily. So, uh, you know, I'm only 30 years old. Um, it's older than you guys, but it's younger than most folks in the multifamily space. You're definitely starting young. Um, but you know, I, I started when I was 16 using my retirement accounts. Uh, my mother and my grandfather both suggested that I, you know, I should open up, uh, you know, something that that really planned for my future. And so I did that. I put in, you know, what I'd earned as a camp counselor at a young age, and I just kind of got started investing from there. Um, you know, fast forward about 10 years from then, uh, my mother and my grandfather, who I just you know, mentioned, they had actually passed away by that point. And what that did was um, they ended up leaving me with their retirement accounts. It wasn't a life-changing amount of money, but it was something that I needed to make sure I was going to, you know, look after and make sure that I was deploying into the right space. Um, you know, because I started at 16, I had a good amount of exposure uh, and investing background to the equities market. Uh, I'd been investing for about 10 to 13 years at that point um, in, you know, in, in basically stocks, mutual funds, ETFs, stuff like that. So, uh, when I got uh, their retirement accounts, uh, I was with my sisters as well. And so we decided to kind of go and put it into something that we ourselves controlled. And I was getting really sick of the volatility in the stock market. So we moved towards real estate, uh, sort of did a, what I would call a self-taught curriculum where I just really learned everything I possibly could. Um, in a way to just kind of fast forward this along, I, I essentially, um, I kept hearing everybody say, scale up. Go to you know go to four eight sixteen and everyone kept saying I, I eventually want to get into syndications so um, in order to kind of just fast forward my uh, my trajectory there I essentially jumped straight into multifamily did that uh, three or four years ago and we've been in multifamily ever since awesome that's I love to hear that and um, we kind of we can agree that we also were in single family and we were interested in, in starting there but then we just wanted to go big as fast as possible um, and I wanted to touch on something you mentioned about the volatility of the stock market. Could you maybe explain to some listeners about uh, just what that means and why real estate is a better option or alternative? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, I, I realized when I was actively trading, it was it was something that was more. Um, it it's ended up feeling like gambling. 
Uh, it, it got more to the method of I would constantly be checking my stock portfolio app and just seeing if it's up or down, red or green. And so I was, um, it, you know, my heart rate was way up. And when I went to bed, I was like, checking the the after hours. I was checking pre-market and um, it was just hard for me to sleep. And uh, I, I there was a couple of moments and it was stuff like, um, I never was in Tesla, but seeing when um, Elon Musk went on Joe Rogan's podcast and it was like one of the first times he'd been on and he uh, he smoked weed on the podcast and the stock tanked the next day. Uh, I mean, it's obviously up from there, but it was the fact that somebody else's actions that are totally out of your control could ultimately have a gigantic impact on your financial future and your the control you have over your portfolio. And I wanted something that I knew. I know I'm a competent business person. I can handle and run a business myself. And uh, if I can control what's going on inside my business and control my financial destiny, that's important. So when I took a look at multifamily, what I did was I looked, I kind of, I kind of want to compare it to, to the, um, the S&P 500. So I compared it to uh, the S&P through from 1990 up until 2020. And what I found was that multifamily uh, returns are actually 58% less volatile than the S&P 500. Um, they're even smoother than uh, long-term treasury bonds. Um, so they provide a lot of stability, um, not a ton of up and down, but very consistent 9%, 10% annual returns, uh, letting you sleep at night and uh, and reducing that overall stress. Awesome. So you eventually started, like you said, in stock, the stocks and ETFs and stuff like that, and you transitioned to multifamily. Uh, what made you just jump right in? Why did you not, you know, like, why, why was that the first step for you? And how did that look? Yeah, so, you know, I, I knew I had some capital to deploy and I wanted to kind of make the most of it. Uh, it was retirement funds. And so I wanted a way that I, because with retirement accounts, you cannot actively control any of the uh, investments within them. So there actually needs to be a passive investment itself. And so I needed to find a way that not only was I going to relatively have some, you know, quote unquote control, uh, it was going to be a, a something that was a little less volatile, but um, I could pick out the the sponsors. I could pick out the folks who were, um, you know, in, in charge of the deal. And so I wanted to deploy it into something that, um, you know, I, I knew was going to be passive, but allow me to leverage up because most of the time with retirement accounts, you can't leverage your returns. And so uh, when I went into multifamily, I knew it was going to take some time to start up that operation. It's not a fast business. It's not a get rich quick scheme. It's something that takes months, years. Uh, I'm still getting at it, you know, figuring out how to scale even more within multifamily. Uh, so what I ended up doing was while I was scaling up multifamily, I actually went into private money lending as well to kind of keep the velocity of capital uh, going. And so I, I continued to lend on um, some properties in Boston, where I went to college, uh, had some operators there that I knew and decided to to help them out with their, their flips uh, that they were doing there. So uh, did that while we were waiting to kind of find the right opportunities and deals to put our capital in, in multifamily. And at the same time, while you know, that, that's a passive investment. While I was doing that, I was jumping in and speaking with brokers and, and connecting with uh, investors. Um, you did mention that, um, like you went from your investing your own retirement funds to helping other people. Um, I'm just curious, how did, how did you translate what you learned from that experience of, of investing those retirement funds and how did that lead you to help other people invest their own? Yeah, it was, it was an interesting 
uh, transition, I will say, because it, it was originally it started with just trying to find out what the hell I can do with my stuff. You know, it's a very it's it's a, it's a space that's kept very confusing and it's kept confusing for a reason. I, I ended up ultimately learning because people want to sell you a product. They want to sell you an account uh, that they can manage your funds for you and charge uh, exorbitant fees. And so it took me quite a while to find. Uh, you know, all the answers I was looking for it took me probably somewhere close to two years of, of finding the right uh, vendors and lawyers and, and other folks and, and experts in the field who all knew the different tiny little aspects that I needed to know to get uh, to get started. And so eventually I had kind of put all of this information together. I had all this stuff in, the, in my mind and I one day was presenting with some uh, some partners of mine in Denver and uh the presentation went really well. One of my uh, partners decided, he, or he didn't decide, he, he turned to me and said, hey, you should really turn this into something. And so I actually ended up creating a company and it's it's ultimately my, my main um, focus now is uh, finding the right investments for retirement investors. Uh, and so I, I was a, essentially able to create a bunch of content, videos, uh, educational materials to help folks understand more seamlessly how they can do it. A to Z without having to go from, you know, one place to another place to another to find all that information. It's all housed in one location. Hopefully that that's I, I would hope that it's easy to understand for folks. So um, that's that's essentially why I built it. I wanted to whether or not people decided to ultimately invest with me, I wanted to do something that was going to help others uh, scale up at a faster rate than I was able to when I had to find this stuff myself. Yeah. And to kind of touch on that. Um, so uh, some of the audience may not exactly know what a self-directed IRA is um, or that they're even able to, um, you know, kind of control their own uh, IRAs. Do you mind kind of touching on what a self-directed IRA is and, and how exactly, I guess we can kind of go into how you help people after that? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, you know, contrary to popular belief, you can actually use an IRA or a 401k or really any retirement account in any investment that you'd like. Um, there's really, there's literally three limitations. There, you cannot uh, purchase um, collectibles like art, jewelry, cars, alcohol is considered a collectible. Um, you can't buy life insurance policies in your retirement accounts and you can't buy shares in S corporations for taxation purposes. So outside of that, you can invest in anything you want. Um, cryptocurrency, gold, real estate, any alternative investment you can think of. I've even heard of folks uh, buying racehorses and uh, breeding horses uh, in their retirement accounts. So really anything's open. Um, you can use these retirement accounts. They just have to be invested passively, as I've mentioned before. Um, anything that you yourself, uh, you, I, I like to say you have to think of your retirement account as a separate person completely. Uh, your, your retirement account can't benefit from the actions that you are putting in. And so if you, you can buy a flip, you can certainly uh, buy a property to flip like a single family home, uh, but you can't go in and swing a hammer. You can't sweep the broom. You can't do any kind of what's called sweat equity. Uh, you need to make sure that somebody else is putting in the work. Now you can run the property yourself. You can make sure that, you know, contractors are coming in and doing it, you know, and you're, you're uh, screening your tenants and everything like that. But, uh, you know, it needs to be ultimately uh, self-reliant all the expenses and everything need, and ex income need to flow in and out of just the retirement account itself. Uh, and so uh, you need to make sure that you're not getting involved. And there are also other people that can't get involved too. It gets a little bit more complex. Uh, you can't invest your retirement account with anybody 
what's called a linear ascendant or descendant. This is a parent or grandparent or a child or grandchild. Um, you know, your, your spouse is, is disallowed as well. So uh, if you wanted to, let's say, buy um, a single family home and you wanted to use, it's $100,000 and you wanted to use 50,000 from your IRA and your wife wanted to use 50,000 of just her cash, you can't actually do that. It's uh, it's not allowed. It's it's they're called a disqualified person. So there are some small rules uh, that you need to get around and make sure that you're um, you know avoiding uh, to so that you don't jeopardize your overall account. But uh, once you kind of understand the, there, I would call it basic rules. It's stuff you wouldn't originally know, but once you understand it, it's like riding a, a bike. It's it's always you don't always understand it. It's kind of easy to move forward, and it just operates like cash. Um, I'm just curious, is there like a certain amount somebody would need in their retirement account before they can start investing in, um, like, for example, a multifamily deal? Yeah, it's the same as as you would if you were cash. You know, uh, a typical minimum for a multifamily property is 50 or 75,000. Now, um, you can do what a lot of, you know, cash investors do as well if you're interested in getting involved, but um, you don't necessarily have the the capital. You can arrange a holding company. This is what my family does, actually. Uh, We pair all of our IRAs uh, together, and we have one holding company that uh, holds all of our, our accounts together. So, uh, you can get in for a lower minimum. Let's say uh, there's a $75,000 minimum and there's me and my two sisters. We can each get in for $25,000. And that really simplifies things. It helps diversify our portfolio even more broadly uh, across more markets, asset classes, um, and and things of that nature. So um, there's a lot of strategies you can take with it. Awesome. And, and regarding like the guidelines that you mentioned, uh, who oversees that? I assume it's like an organization, a part of the government. Do you mind kind of going into that? And how they enforce? Yeah, so it's it's run by the IRS, just as uh, you know, normal um, taxation is. Uh, it's it's entirely, you know, to be perfectly honest, it's, it's entirely up to how much power the IRS has. Um, it's you know, recently they haven't been able to audit as much. We're seeing a, a landscape where um, I think they're proposing about a hundred billion dollar injection into the IRS. So uh, they might have a, a greater capacity to audit. And so there's there's a lot of situations where you could probably get away with a lot of shenanigans. But um, if you ever get caught, um, if you have a, what's called a prohibited transaction in your IRA, uh, they typically, you know, the IRS is run by people and they typically will try to do things to, to allow you to wind back a transaction, pay a penalty fee, but, uh, you know, undo the, the, the harm that you've done in their perception uh, uh, with, with a disallowable transaction. Um, if you don't, or if they think you've acted purposely uh, to avoid and, and skirt their rules, you can blow up your entire retirement account. Um, they can disqualify the retirement account. And so ultimately you would need to pay, it would, it would end up being income tax or income for your entire year. And you would need to pay income tax and it would balloon your entire income tax rate. So um, you, you end up losing something like, you know, 30, 40% of the overall account balance between penalties and income tax that you ultimately have to pay. So you really do need to be careful of this. Uh, it's very easy to understand the rules once you know them. Um, but yeah. Do you mind kind of going into the different types of IRAs that you invest with or is it just a self-direct? Yeah. So, uh, you know, self-directed IRA kind of, it's, it can cover a couple different accounts. Um, you can have a normal traditional IRA. You can have a self-directed Roth IRA. SEP IRAs are the same, um, but you can also do 401ks. You know, if you have a 401k with a, a, an employer or a previous employer, those can get rolled into IRAs. A 401k can become a traditional IRA. 
uh, a Roth 401k can become a Roth IRA. Um, if you are self-employed, you can sponsor a solo 401k. You're the employer and you're the employee. Uh, so that's a nice way to do things. Uh, you can use 403Bs if you worked for the government or for uh, a college or something. And um, there's even the thrift saving plan. And the TSP operates just as an IRA would uh, in a 401k. So uh, plenty of options. They all operate generally the same. Um, they all have exactly the same technical rules of what you, you know, can and can't do, the prohibited transactions. They all operate the same way there. And there's maybe just some small nuances of what can and can't transfer between different types of accounts. Great, great. So um, not to cut off my brother, but when you obviously find these people and you're, I, I don't know, you probably pitch them or you kind of educate them on how your your whatever you're doing can benefit them compared to what they're doing at the moment. What are some of the benefits that are kind of general when it comes to an IRA and what you are able to provide them with if they were able to invest? Yeah, so um, you know, there's a couple things why I think multifamily really works for an IRA. Um, you know, one of them, it's it's really interesting. Uh, you know, I, I'm a capital raiser. I, I know other people who are raising capital as well. And, uh, you know, a lot of investors, they kind of balk at, oh, this is a six-year investment. That's a long time for my money to be, be tied up. Um, I have literally gotten that question zero times. I have not gotten a single person asking me that question because when you have a retirement account, you're not touching it for 20, 30 years anyways. Uh, people aren't really concerned. And so it kind of lines up. It's a long-term investment. It's stable. Uh, you know, a lot of folks, they don't want to get into their retirement account, but if they need to in a pinch, they know that their account balance won't really drop out. That volatility that I was talking about with retirement accounts, or sorry, with the stock market, it, if it's not in play in your retirement account, it's a lot better because, you know, ultimately, if you have to dip into it during a hardship, the account balance stays there. And if you have to, you know, use it when you're retired, if you're older than 59 and a half, you know, you don't have to to worry about really the, uh, the the account balance just kind of dropping out because, hey, you need to pull out. It happens to be two months into a recession. Uh, you wouldn't really notice that with multifamily. Uh, and so I really like it from those perspectives. Uh, there's also the consideration of if you use an IRA, there are actually taxes involved potentially. Um, I'll just jump into it really quickly. Uh, there's a thing called unrelated debt financed income. So you can leverage your IRA. Uh, it's actually, it's a pretty cool um, aspect of it. Uh, but if you're using your IRA, that's tax deferred dollars. And let's say you're buying a multifamily property with a bunch of other people. You're bringing in money from a bank, from an outside source. Those aren't tax deferred at all. And so those tax deferred dollars are benefiting from non-tax deferred dollars. And so you know, the IRS is totally cool with this. They just say you need to pay uh, a tax on the portion of income that is derived by that leveraged non-tax deferred money. And so, uh, you know, let's say we have a property that we bought for 75% leverage, 25% down payment. So 75% of the income that comes in will be considered unrelated debt financed income, UDFI. And you ultimately pay what's called unrelated business income tax on it or UBIT. And so, uh, you know, this is something that you need to consider. Um, it, it's the nice thing is, if you have 75% of the income uh, that's taxed, you can actually use about 75% of the depreciation, operating expenses, interest expenses. Um, so that, that one took me a little while to figure out, but uh, you know that helps to offset the ultimate tax that you have to pay. Um, you know, I, I wanted to kind of find, a, 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 I wanna go into a deeper dive of what that meant for my investments. So I ended up building, um, I think the industry's first UBIT calculator uh, so I can run any multifamily syndication through it and get a feel for how impactful 
UBIT might be to their ultimate returns. And so, uh, you know, what I've found through hundreds of different case studies of, of different properties uh, is that typically for the first three to four years, cash flow is either zero or it's minimally impacted from, you know, taxes. Uh, we're talking like a couple hundred dollars on a $10,000 return. Uh, the ultimate big penalty uh, that you end up facing is on capital gains. Um, you know, this comes at the, the time of sale, uh, anything that's above your original capital account balance. And so uh, that's that's a larger amount. Um, what I found is that it can ultimately impact your entire investment by about four to 6% uh, annually. So if you're looking at, let's just say it's a 2x return over five years, that's 20%. Um, just kind of a very hypothetical deal. Uh, we can look at somewhere between, uh, you know, a 14 or a 16% return after taxes are taken into account. So uh, it's still a very worthwhile uh, transaction to, to or investment to put within your account. It's just something you should really be aware of. And uh, using that calculator, I'm kind of able to find those investments that I think perfectly align with retirement accounts. There's definitely something that we obviously have heard about IRAs and 401ks, but investing with it is something that we actually hadn't heard before we met you. Uh, so I think it's something that's awesome. And of course, there's a lot to learn. Uh, how do you educate your investors on on what you're doing and how we can make sense for them? Yeah, absolutely. I, I What I ended up doing was I created a, a series of videos and I put them on my website. It, it kind of creates um, a landscape of I made six different videos for retirement accounts. It ends up being 30 minutes. If you have time to watch a fit show of whatever your favorite, you know, an episode of whatever your favorite show is, you've got time to learn about this and then you're good to go. Uh, it really is that simple. Um, it, it's just learning a couple different pieces. And so I try to get people to engage with my content um, just on the basics level. Um, I also offer uh, you know, a free PDF called the top 10 tips and tricks when investing passively with your um, in multifamily with your retirement account. And so with that, I'm able to get people to understand, you know, what they need to look out for, but then how they can use their accounts and how they can maneuver them in a certain way that allows them to avoid certain, um, you know, penalties or taxes or things that they need to look out for that they can maybe maneuver around. And so uh, with that, I kind of follow up and I provide additional education with them. And, uh, you know, hopefully I'm able to, to get folks to understand the potential they have within their existing uh, portfolio arrangement. Amazing. So when you're raising, you obviously raise the money using the the 401k and the IRAs. And um, when you're doing that, how does that necessarily happen? Like, is it crowdfunding on on a website where you kind of um, have all of them allocated into one fund and then you go look for the deal? Or is it something where you'll find a deal and then you'll go look for for those people that are looking to invest with their retirement? Yeah, you know, there's, it's, it's no different than it is with cash. It's, it's, I, I, there's, Two different ways you can typically do it. There's um, the typical one where you're, you've got a group of investors and you're you're either their friends and family and you're familiar with them or they're people you've met networking and uh, and so when you eventually have a deal you present it to them and let them know and see if they're interested and you raise that way. Um, that's typically how I've been doing it. There's also the fund to fund models. Uh, where, you know, and this can run with cash or retirement accounts. It, it doesn't have to be either or, it can be both. Uh, and you can essentially raise funds into an account, into a fund that says, hey, we're looking for these types of uh, these properties. We're looking for these types of returns. This is what we're going to invest in. And here's what you'll get if you invest in this fund. And then everybody pulls their funds into that fund. And then I, as an operator, go out and look for different properties over the course of whatever the document says, uh, the next two, five, 10 years. And I look for properties uh, in that timeline. And then we close with that capital into different, uh, you know, uh, different syndications. 
Yeah, and I'm sure all of your investors have been really happy with the returns you've been getting them since compared to what they were getting before. Nothing compares to it. Also, the benefits, tax benefits. Yeah, you know, I I uh, haven't had any bad words uh, sent my way, so uh, I think folks are very satisfied and and content at the very least. Um, and uh, it's been it's been a pleasant you know ride so far. So getting into more of like your role in the syndication process, I, I I believe you already mentioned that you are the one that raises capital. Yeah, yeah, so I help them. Yeah, do you mind going into your first capital raise? Was that something that you used? Yeah, so uh, I'm working with other folks uh, to essentially look for properties within the Southeast. So from, let's say, Virginia down to Florida, over uh, through the South, over to Texas. Um, Texas a little less frequently now than, than it used to be. Uh, and so we look for the, the typical kind of uh, properties that a lot of folks in multifamily do. It's it's 19, it's somewhere between A and C class, usually B and C class, let's be honest. And uh, it's somewhere between 1970 and early 90s build. And so you're looking for a value add component, something where the current owner uh, was likely neglecting it, wasn't really, didn't have the capital to put into the property, let the units kind of um, go into disrepair, a lot of uh, what's called deferred maintenance. And so we're looking for things that are undervalued or potentially, you know, even if they're selling it for at market value, uh, something where we can put in, we can bring in capital with our, our new um, our new leverage and we can, we can really uh, improve the the experience and the amenities and, and things we're offering to to the clients at the property uh, and we can start to increase rents or bring them you know potentially back to market level rents you know a lot of times uh, owners are not uh, properly assessing their market capability or potential and what the competition is doing and if market rent is a thousand dollars they're charging eight hundred dollars and so that's a great opportunity where you can come in and say you're just undercharging folks they're getting a sweet deal we're just going to bring it back up to market and there isn't a lot you have to do to, to achieve that. So, you know, we're looking for things like that. Um, once we find them, you just kind of execute. Uh, the nice thing and what I love about multifamily is it, it takes a team of folks who are all experts at what they do. Uh, you know, you're not going to get involved in a property uh, that a bank has landed on because, you know, you, you had some errors in your numbers. You know, that could happen in single family homes where you give, you know, you say, oh, they're selling it for 400. I think this is actually worth like maybe 390. They're pretty close. And then the bank will give you some money on it if it appraises for that. But if you were off on your numbers, you know, you may not cash flow on it. So the nice thing with multifamily is you're purchasing essentially a business. The business happens to own real estate. Uh, and so if you can operate the business, uh, you know that you can execute on your business plan and so uh you know you've got property managers on, on site and so you make sure that you're you're just uh you're on top of them every week you're looking at different scorecards and metrics and making sure that uh, they're operating to the business plan and you just stay on top of it until you execute your value add and from there you kind of just continue to to roll out business as usual once it's up and running it's exactly why we got into multi-family like i mentioned earlier um we last week we pretty much got into it from single family and we just saw the benefits and kept hearing the economies of scale and pretty much just the scalability of it was the main reason. Um, but to end the podcast, we always like to go into our express round. Um, it's about five questions that I'll ask you and it's pretty much, you can tailor it towards business if you'd like, but don't, don't feel uh, you know afraid to go into personal life. Some of the questions do tailor towards both. Um, so my first question is what is the biggest mistake you've ever made? And this one can be real estate. <laughs> I'm trying to think. Biggest mistake I ever made. Um, One of the mistakes you Yeah, I'll, I'll go with something real estate. I, uh, you know, I put, 
during the, my private money lending stage of things, uh, you know, I, I lended on a property and I, I did so without understanding the level of communication that was required. Um, I think I ended up doing about five different private money lending deals. Um, one of them didn't really go, it, it it's still going. It, I'm going to end up, you know, getting paid on it eventually, but it's about a year and change behind schedule. And I wasn't really kept aware of what was happening as it went on. And so the guy was kind of hard to nail down and, and find out updates on, on the property. And so that one really annoyed me because going in, I had an expectation, but I wasn't really, I guess, fully aware of what the space was like. Um, you know, I didn't do my research necessarily as well as I could have. Uh, and I didn't, the, the important thing is I didn't set expectations up front. I didn't tell him, Hey, here's the communication I require. Here's what I need. Um, and here's what happens if I don't achieve that kind of, or if we don't receive that kind of communication. And so, uh, you know, going in, I would have changed that a little bit, but that's about it. Awesome. That's why we, we always think of education for like, we, we always think of course, not to be overanalyzing and think called process analysis. But of course, make sure that you're educating yourself before you make that decision to move into it. Um, next question is, what is your favorite book? And if you'd like to do one for personal or just one for business? Yeah, um, let's see. The favorite book that I read in the last year, uh, it was a thing called Blue Ocean Strategies. And uh, it's it's a book that really focuses, it's, it's just very business heavy, very um, kind of, it, it focuses on finding a space within an already existing um, you know, uh, sector or industry that's a little bit different. The the first example they give is Cirque du Soleil. You know, you have like Ringling Brothers and the Big Apple Circus, and you got all those usual circuses where a clown comes out and whatever. Um, the Cirque du Soleil came out and they paired, uh, you know, ballet and gymnastics with with a circus, and they created kind of their own niche. And so they were able to pull not only from, uh, you know, the existing circus crowd and, and people who wanted to attend a circus, but they also pulled from people who wanted to go see a play or the ballet or an opera, and they wanted a story. And so they were able to kind of create this new niche uh, of and, and attract a greater, more broad audience. And so it really made me think about where I wanted to take my business, how I wanted to differentiate myself from other operators and syndicators, um, different services and products that I wanted to roll out that maybe allowed people to um, to jump in who necessarily would never have looked at this space to begin with. Uh, that's awesome. I actually haven't heard of that one, so I'll definitely check that out. Um, my next question is, what is the best piece of advice or your favorite quote? Yeah, so the I would say it's my like favorite strategy is, you know, I ended up when you go into business for yourself and you're an entrepreneur and you've never done it before, it's challenging because you realize the entire thing relies on you. Uh, and so, you know, uh, because I didn't necessarily have two brothers that I could that could both hold me accountable, I had to ultimately learn that I needed to you know, focus on one thing at a time. Uh, when you're trying to kind of learn everything about running a business from the administrative side of things to the marketing side to the operational, there's a lot of stuff to focus on. And also you don't really know what avenue you want to go down. Um, and so I ultimately found that I need to focus on one thing. And so if you're focusing on one product or one task or whatever it is, and you're mastering that and you're achieving that, um, as well as you possibly can. And once you do that, you can move to the next thing and you're not going to lose the knowledge you achieved on that first item, but you're going to have full dedication and attention drawn to that first thing. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's really helped me accelerate my business because I'm not giving 10% to 10 different things. I'm giving a hundred percent to one and then moving on to the next. 
I like to say focus is the thing that separates good and great. So I definitely agree. Um, number four, my last question, or my, my second to last question. Do you have a daily habit that you would accredit your success to? Yeah. Uh, you know, I never, I never would have jumped into this had I not been in real estate, but everybody in real estate is obsessed with meditation. It's crazy. Um, <laughs> you jump in, you're like, what is going on here? And so um, I ended up trying it out. Uh, if you've never heard of it, uh, Hal Elrod has this thing called the Miracle Morning. I don't do every piece of it. I used to do uh, every piece of it. There, you know, it's like um, silence, uh, affirmations, visualization. Uh, it's a couple different things. You do journaling. And so, uh, you know, I, I have a routine every morning and I've found that if I kind of start the day off without a routine, I end up sort of listless and I don't really have a direction and I don't start with something or a lot of energy to start the day. And so I ended up, uh, you know, I meditate every morning. Um, and I also kind of just plan out my day, figure out where I want to go from there. And, and from there, I'm able to kind of kickstart. And I know exactly when I'm going to start my day. Uh, I work out and then I'm good to go from there. So I feel like we have a very similar morning routine. It's a little weird. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Awesome. We all pretty much share like a very similar routine. And a lot of my friends have kind of rubbed off on that too. So it's something that I think, like you said, it kind of sets up your day for, uh, you know, just to be productive. And if I don't do it, like on the weekend, that's where I find it the most difficult. On yeah. Sunday, that was the hardest day to like actually do it. But I definitely agree. Um, my last question: What is the best way for our listeners and audience to uh, reach out to you? Yeah. Uh, so as I mentioned, I've got that free PDF, uh, which you can find on my website. Uh, the website is wall2main.com, and I just you know I, I provide as much I, as I can on both passive investing and retirement accounts and how you can use them to passively invest. Well, that's all we had for you today, Josh. Um, I really do appreciate your time. I look forward to staying in touch, and uh, I'm, I'm sure my audience took a lot. Thanks, guys. There was a lot of value, so I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Real Life Monopoly podcast with the Donis Brothers. If you want to learn more about what we do, make sure to visit our website, www.donisinvestmentgroup.com. And if you aren't already, make sure to follow us on all platforms at Donis Brothers. Let's be great today. Have a good one.